Welcome to the Behold Do Good podcast. We're your hosts, Todd and Ashley Marchant, and this show is about strengthening families through whole being health. At a time when there is so much that can distract, discourage, and disconnect us, our family is on a journey that is led by three core questions. What whole being practices can we implement so every member of our family can have increased capacity, save your life more deeply, and use their gifts to do good? How do we translate and apply what we learn into simple, tiny habits that work amidst the demands of life? And how can we use our increased capacity to better care for others in our family, community, and throughout the world? Each month, our family focuses on one core area of whole being health. We take the biggest challenges we're facing in that area, seek out answers and direction, and do all we can to implement what we learn all the while sharing our journey through this podcast so you can learn and grow alongside us. We joyfully invite you and your family to join us on this whole being health journey. Welcome back to the Behold Do Good podcast. This month, our family is focused on strengthening our physical well-being. Most interviews going forward will be Ashley and I together, focused on addressing some of the most pressing and common challenges we face as families. This interview is one of two remaining that I recorded before Ashley and I decided to make this shift. Aligned with our focus on physical well-being this month, I had the chance to visit with nutritional psychiatrist Drew Ramsey. This interview helps us understand what types of foods influence stronger mental health and fitness. In two weeks, we will publish an interview with a family eating specialist that builds upon the what of nutrition by teaching us the how. Specifically, how to feed our families without the stress, anxiety, food battles, and mealtime meltdowns. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform to catch that episode when it's released. Enjoy this episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the Be Whole, Do Good podcast. Super honored today to have my friend, Dr. Drew Ramsey here. Dr. Ramsey is a nutritional psychiatrist, an author, and a farmer. Uh, he's an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons and has an active telemedicine clinical practice based in New York City. He's also on the advisory board at Men's Health, the editorial board at Medscape Psychiatry, and a member of the Well Good Wellness Council. Drew, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you, man. It's great to be back. Yeah. So I, I said you're a nutritional psychiatrist, but I don't know if very many people even know what that means. What is that? Well, that, thank you for pointing that out. When I, I started my career, I was just a plain old psychiatrist. And even when I started doing work with food and mental health, that's mostly how people identify me. I'm a board certified psychiatrist. So I went to medical school and then we do four years of training in, in psychiatry. During that training, I just noticed there wasn't a lot of talk about nutrition. And in my personal life, my personal sort of health journey, food had been such a big part. Back then, I was uh, experimenting with being a vegetarian. I was eating as everybody was in medicine back then, low fat. But I was really curious, like, how did food impact my mental health? And there just was not a lot of that in our training. So this was back in like 2000 when I finished medical school. Um, and then during my training, I got to focus a little bit on, on learning more about nutrition and thinking more about integrative medicine. Uh, and then as an, uh, in my early career, really focused on food, a lot of the medications that had come out, uh, caused some weight gain for a lot of patients. And so part of being a responsible practitioner and prescriber is that's, that's on you. And that got me really deep into nutrition and just realizing, wow, there's so much potential here. We don't utilize this at all. 
And it's such a wonderful way to partner with patients. So in short, nutritional psychiatry is the use of nutrition. And, and for me, as one of the pioneers in this field, that means food, right? Lots of people are going to talk to you about supplements, have good conversations. I'm here to talk to you about breakfast, lunch, dinner, and your snacks. And we want to use nutrition to optimize brain health and to treat and prevent mental health disorders. So really three tenets to nutritional psychiatry. One, everybody's got a human brain. It didn't come with feeding instructions. Most people aren't feeding it right, period. Uh, you follow that up with, we have the largest uh, cause of disability uh, uh, right now in the world, in the United States, it's caused by mental health disorders, namely depression. Right? One is one of the strongest data sets right now of how we can prevent depression, especially in adolescents and teens, it's nutrition. And so- Nutritional psychiatry really helps to, how do we optimize brain health with food? How do we prevent mental health disorders if that's possible for individuals? And then for people who are struggling, let's say you have a really big genetic load of depression, right? And you've suffered a lot of trauma and you're struggling with a lot of aspects of your life. For those individuals who need treatment for the mental health disorder, how do we optimize that with nutrition? So you're not just getting psychotherapy or medication, both of which are super helpful and work really well. I love using both of those to treat depression. But I also want to add in this lifestyle piece where my patients are getting some thoughts about food and nutrition and the latest data and where we're making sure things like sleep, like my patients, I get them monitoring their sleep now because I don't know, I'm just tired of the doctor being like, you sleep eight hours and be like, I'm trying. I'm like, you keep trying. Like <laughs> that's, you know, sort of like what we do with nutrition right? Hey, there's bad foods. Don't eat those. You eat the good foods. It's sort of, it, it, it's a lot of fear mongering. It's a lot of encouragement and it hasn't really worked. So well, I, like I, I love that perspective. Yeah. Thank you. And, and uh, we'll get into my story at some point, I'm sure in our conversation here, but, but it, it very much what you're describing has, has played a major part in where my family and I are today. And and you play a part in it, and that's how I first reached out to you, and we we connected, and so you know I'm sure we'll get into that. But you you mentioned your own story, and and what a role you know food had in that. We recently rebranded our company name and and brand to more clearly align with our mission. It's this idea: of be whole, do good. Mm-hmm. And you are someone who is doing much good in the world. Yeah, you're doing good in your private practice. You're, you're putting out a lot of online education out there. Your work has been featured in in just about every major publication. You have some great TED Talks, amazing books on this connection between mental health and nutrition. So you you've done and you're currently doing much good. Well, uh, I'd love I'd love to have you just tell your story, some of your story, of of some of the ways that you built and strengthened your own capacity, your own wholeness, and how that ultimately led into the the good work that you're doing now. Oh man, that's like work in progress. I mean, you're using past tense. It's like, that's very inspiring, but I don't, I don't think it's true. I mean, I think probably the most growth I've had in terms of my mental health has happened in the last couple of years, to be quite honest with you. And so for me, mental health, mental fitness, my evolution as a, as a healer and as a physician, um, my evolution as a man, as a parent, you know, things that I'm facing as I'm, I'm thinking about turning 50 in a few years. You know, I, I wasn't thinking about it. I was talking to one of my patients who's turning 28 and it's such a, such a treat. All these uh, uh, individuals I treat of different ages as you sit and you talk to somebody thinking about turning 28 and, and, and the weight of that. And I remember that I had this wonderful phrase. He told me, you know, during this decade, I got a prefrontal cortex. Which is like, <laughs> a, it, it was such a touchy moment for me because he's talking about our conversation and the process by which 
he had, you know, a lot of ways we, we say that matured, that he had built tools, that he had seized his mental health, but mostly that he had a life that he was, he was enjoying a lot more and he was more present in. Um, and so when I, when I think about doing good, I feel very blessed to be in a spot where I get through conversations and through words and through getting to bear witness to people's very sacred moments with themselves, um, painful moments often, uh, that there there becomes this establishment of personal mental health of of also what we're increasingly calling like mental fitness like not just that i'm feeling good but as you note know, that i'm doing good i could be free of depression free of anxiety i can be sleeping well and eating well and still not doing my calling in the world right still not really manifesting we just launched our most recent e-course healing the modern brain and it, it extends uh, from nutritional psychiatry is, is one of the real pillars of mental fitness. You have to be feeding your brain health. You have to be feeding your neurons properly. If you don't, you're just not going to have optimal mental health. So how do we use that principle and also think about what is the optimal sleep for mental health? How do you measure that? What do you do every day to promote that? Now, there's some really concrete things that we all should be doing that I do that I encourage my patients should do around things like sleep and nutrition. There are a number of pillars. We just had a video come out on, on uh, the, the pillars of mental health. And, and the idea is that in, in my own personal journey, what I feel I've shifted from is thinking beyond just taking care of my symptoms. That's essential, right? But thinking really how um, as an organism, I can be empowered and have the tools and have the space to um, continue growing in my mental health, continue learning and evolving, um, continuing, as I, as I say to patients, deepening how I love and my capacity for that. And so that, you know, doing good, I think is is really my hope is is to continue my growth, but also to encourage people in that. That's not a hard or expensive process. That's a it doesn't need to be a scary process. It doesn't um, doesn't need to be filled with the stigma, right? That's always been out there that you and I, as people who've struggled with our mental health, where you know, should be like whispering about it. And it's like, no, I'm not whispering. You know why? I'm on top of a mountain these days, and so I'm singing and like, come on up. <laughs> it's like I don't I don't need to sit in any shame or stigma anymore. Um, so when you ask about my journey, I think I appreciate that. And I've certainly had my share of struggles, as I'm sure you have and people listening have. And I, and I think maybe just I want to emphasize that it, it's, it's you know, work, work in progress, just like you all are, just like I am and my patients are and, and my family is. And I like being in that stance. And, and, and we always will be. You know, I think yeah. that's one of the tenets that's always helped me is realizing it's part of humanity. Part of, part of the human experience is to experience opposition to our happiness and yeah. our well-being and, and to have struggle and challenges and mountains we have to climb. And, and that actually that's not, a, that's not a problem, that that's not a bad thing, that in fact, uh, one, one of the people uh, we have collaborated with uh, a woman by the name of Ashley DeLello. She she termed it a way that I hadn't heard before that I love. She calls it the law of contrast, that we can't actually fully experience happiness without knowing sadness. You know, we can't really know joy without knowing pain, you know, light without darkness. Like there's there's this idea of contrast that's actually really important to our sense of well-being. And so as we face the darkness in our life, as we face the pain, the grief, the struggle, the challenge, it is so helpful to just know how to to have agency in those moments, 
to how to not be reactive, as you said, uh, but to this shift that you're describing in your own journey, how do we go from being reactive to the darkness, to the pain, to the struggle, to being proactive and, and feeling like we have things that we can do to make choices we can make to build and strengthen our, our response to the darkness, our response to the pain and to the struggle. And, and, you know, you're, you're here to help teach us about how important food is in our ability to respond in a way that nurtures our, our sense of well-being, gives us the strength to face our challenges in a way that doesn't spiral into depression. And, and so I'd, I'd love for a second, one of the things that uh, one element of, of my story. So during a period of time, there's just a lot on our family. We were in one of those times of life that felt totally like survival mode. I was, I was experiencing just chronic stress, feeling completely depleted through different, uh, areas of life, all adding up at the same time as they often do. Uh, my wife was recovering from having a baby and experiencing some postpartum depression and so just as a family in general, you know, we, we were, you know, we just moved to a new place. We didn't know anybody. And, uh, we had moved to North Carolina actually. And there's this amazing greenway. This was like a healing place for me. There's a mm. greenway in our neighborhood that my daily runs would be just, uh, going through this greenway and being surrounded by nature. And it was just truly beautiful. But we, at some point had gone to a more functional medicine doctor, and they had said, you know what, you really should start to pay attention to what you're eating and to your nutrition. And they coached us in some of those things and, and, you know, pointed us in some resources. And one of those was your first book, uh, mm. the happiness diet. And so here I am, I'm running on this greenway and listening to your words in this book that I know you wrote years ago. And one of the things that's actually interesting, so, you know, we think about, okay, so if food matters in feeding our mental health, which it does, what diet should I do? You know, and then people think about in terms of, of, you know, these different diets, these different, you know, theories or approaches or whatever it might be. And, and there's a lot of traditional diets that, you know, I think we're starting to become a more, people are more aware of whether it's the Mediterranean diet, the Japanese diet, you know, African diet, Norwegian diet. And one of the things that you've emphasized, I think is so helpful is, is that it's not necessarily the particulars of those diets themselves, but one of the biggest and most important things is none of them have processed food <laughs> in them. And the processed food is one of our, our big, you know, problem areas. And, and as I was, uh, the memory I have on this run listening to you was actually this light bulb moment of, oh, yeah, I'd always heard processed food is not good. But but you actually went through and kind of explained and taught some of the dietary changes that happened over the last 100 years mm -hmm. that that has led to all this processed food and and how that is ultimately impacting our our bodies mm -hmm. and, and it was like this light bulb moment. It was the first time I really understood you know the problem. And so I'd love for you to just take a couple of minutes to explain you know what what's occurred in the last hundred years that and and the role of processed food in in kind of the decline of mental health. Oh, sure. And th thanks for inviting me to, to go back down memory lane. This is a really exciting time. There's a group of journalists that I was sharing a ski house with, with some of my, still some of my oldest friends. And uh, Tyler Graham, who I wrote the book with, was a magazine journalist at, at the time and really w was helping me understand as a physician that the, the narrative storytelling like you're describing, describing what happened to food, describing some of the stories, where breakfast cereal came from, where where did margin, mar, uh, margarine come from? Like, what are trans fats? And when you 
get to little moments uh, as a as a writer um, or as a storyteller, right? Where you see Edwin Kaiser, who's this German biochemist, who's literally on like a boat back in the day in the 1800s, coming across the Atlantic Ocean with a little a little vial of this waxy substance that looks a little bit like lard, and it's uh, it's hydrogenated uh, cottonseed oil. And he's coming to tell Procter and Gamble, these two brothers, and, and basically completely convert the American diet in a certain way, change the major fat we're eating from lard and beef tallow to a uh, you know a, a hydrogenated fat, uh, the, which are trans fats, uh, which are horrible for our health, and, and humans have never really consumed. And and so we we kind of came across this phrase, this idea, you know, this notion that really in a hundred years, it was a hundred years from when we discovered the the first uh, vitamin, vitamin B1, 1912, right? Right around the exact same time Edward and Kaiser came across, it wasn't the 1800s, it was 1912, and Crisco gets launched. And a hundred years later, we were sitting researching this book and just looking at what had happened to food. That we had gone from eating foods that came from a farm. I grew up on a farm, so it was a big part of my personal journey. So I grew up in really, really rural Indiana where my parents had gone back to the land to grow more of our food, to be closer to nature, to uh, jar up our own tomato sauce. Um, and, uh, and, and so looking at how processed food had taken over and the reasoning behind it, right? First of all, what else was going around in like early 1900s? We found out we could kill bacteria, and that was a total game changer. And so we wanted things sterile. We wanted to kill bacteria. Well, what's happened in the last 10 years? I'm trying to get you to eat bacteria. Because as a nutritional psychiatrist, one of the big moves I know I can make is I can reprogram the genes in your microbiome simply by feeding you different foods. It sounds like crazy, crazy science. It's like, yeah, it, it is wild, amazing new science. Anyone who doubts the power of fermented food, check out Christopher Gardner's most recent study looking at a very small study, looking at the, what's called metabobolomics, the, the, the how the microbiome changes and how our metabolism changes when you feed people more fermented foods. And it's striking. Our immune reactivity goes down, it's more appropriate. Uh, mar uh, markers of diversity and health of the microbiome go up. So that's, uh, so when we think about how food has changed, those traditional foods, fermented foods, um, uh, the fatty acid mix that we're eating, right? Just beyond, before, right now it's gotten to like meat, no meat, animal, no meat. And it's like, let's just kind of go to the science, right? If we really switch things up, when you're eating the fat in fish, you're eating a 24 carbon polyunsaturated fatty acid, which incredible health benefits, incredible biochemistry. Um, that's very different than when you're eating um, uh, margarine or when you're eating a steak or when you're eating an avocado or olive oil, right? They're just different fats. And so simplifying that for people in service of their mental health has been really rewarding that whoever's listening, one of the easy moves beyond all these dietary patterns is just to swap out all the fats in your house for olive oil, period, right? If you're worried about frying stuff, you bumped into one of those things where nutritional psychiatry is super practical. Probably shouldn't eat much fried food. If your olive oil is smoking, you're probably cooking too hot. Um, you know, oven roasted vegetables and olive oil, staple of the diet. Why are you getting plants and you're getting a big, nice dose of monounsaturated fats? And eating fats is incredible. Your brain is mostly made of fat. 60% of your brain is fat. 
7 to 8% of the dry weight of the brain is DHA, the longest chain fat that you eat. You find it in seafood. So the, there's just all this um, change that's happened. Right? We, we stopped eating pasture-raised and grass-fed animals. We stopped eating pasture-raised eggs. We stopped eating eggs. <clears throat> this isn't like the smoking gun of why we have mental health problems. I think people take that step. But if you think that we all have some genetic risk in our mental health, the majority of Americans will experience depression at some point in their lifetime. The majority of men, or one in two, I guess not the majority, will have a severe substance use disorder in their lifetime, right? There's a lot of mental health problems going on. If if you think that we take the genetic susceptibility we have and we put it into an environment, and we've rigged that environment with foods that trigger inflammation, that mean we don't have a diverse microbiome that cause our body to, to do what it does, right? Our body is great at processing all kinds of different food, but, but really taxes that in a way. And it just leads everyone to get overweight, get diabetes, get dyslipidemia. Uh, you know, you, you just begin to see how lifestyle and dietary pattern and, and what you eat really directly relates to mental health and brain health and how these dietary, your question, how tell us how we change food. We started making food sterile. We started making it for the shelf life, not for health. We got really concerned about food being efficient, right? It being inexpensive and it being delicious, right? Food science evolved into like, they got the crunch dialed in. Like you crunch and you have like a food orgasm in your mouth. You're like, wow, right? It's like, they've been studying that, right? They know that color of that key lime pie, low fat yogurt that like you just can't resist. And, and it's amazing food science. It's just not, it's not good for you. Right. And as you introduce, you know, that, that difference of perspective, the difference of priority that led a lot of the food innovation over, over the last century, again, shelf life taste. Now we're starting to get the, the sugar and the, the flour and, and, you know, these, these, you know, when even think about where the movement's going, right? Where's the wellness movement going now? It's longevity. It's like such a horrible idea. Like you haven't gotten this life right yet. Right. I haven't seen that in mass. I haven't seen River being like, that was 70 amazing years. Let me give it up. Did nothing but create love and help people and fit and feeling amazing. Right. Then we should think about living longer. But I haven't heard we've gotten this life right yet, most people. And and I don't mean that to sound as judgmental as it does. Uh, you know, as I said earlier, I'm a work in progress too. I just my sense is really taking care of ourselves. Uh, with some in some of these simple ways has got to be a much more urgent priority than trying to eke a few more years out of our our, our existence. And, and I think that priority, when we shift to have that be our focus, there's also a lot of of from behavior science we can look and see if if we're thinking about future state, like I, some benefit I want down the road. Yeah, that does not provide the motivation needed to make changes today. To, to change our choices today. If we want to change our choices today, our focus has to be today. How can I feel good today? How can I do good today? And if that's my priority, then I'm much more likely uh, to actually change my behavior, to make choices that contribute to that well-being and to that ability to do good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a subtle effect of pretending we have longer than we do or pretending that lots of uh, you know, the things that are fun to think about. I, I I live out in Wyoming. I'm always out in like, you know, zero degree weather in my t-shirt. I love all that cold immersion therapy. And I love that people are trying to optimize their mental health and their health. I don't mean to, you know, sound sound like a downer about those things. It's just, I really do believe that that focus on the day, as you're saying, 
and 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 the not thinking in what I would call irreverent terms. You know that you you don't need to do it today because you have forever. It's just like yeah, you, know, you don't need to panic, but like you definitely don't have forever, and you should definitely be doing it things. Uh, in your daily life to take care of your health and your mental health. I think the other thing about processed food, and maybe probably switching and up a little bit here as processed food is hitting a new iteration and a new evolution, but none of the processed food or the nutrition movement was designed and intended for mental health. Right? Our work in nutritional psychiatry is the first time that research has directly been looking at mental health outcomes and how you should eat. So when I say olive oil, legumes, especially lentils, uh, and plants that you like. Now, that's based on the most recent uh, research study by Jessica Bayes and Je uh, David Sibrit at the University of Technology in Sydney on how they helped 100% of young men with depression in their sample change their diet and improve their mood. 36% of those young men went into full remission, full remission, the holy grail of depression treatment, just with dietary change. Now, I also wish to point out two thirds of those individuals didn't get better, right? So this is not a silver bullet, but the idea that we can engage people with food, we can we can help them engage with their mental health. Because the thing is, is, if I'm working with you and you don't want to take meds, you don't want to do therapy, you want to change your diet. Okay, we do that. And you're still struggling with some things. Now there's a spot to engage, right? Now there's a way to say, hey, wow, you're doing a great job. You have horrible depression in your family. Everyone's done really well when they've taken Zoloft. Maybe you want to try that, right? And, and we know we've dialed in your diet, so we know it's not diet. Or maybe you want to try some psychotherapy. It sounds like you had some pretty bad bullying when you were younger and you haven't talked about that. Maybe that's showing up for you. Maybe that, you know, so there, there's a way that the food, not that it isn't effective, it's, it's quite effective, especially, you know, if you look at the research, but that, you know, for a lot of people, it's one piece of the mental health puzzle. puzzle. And I think what I like about it, what patients like about it is it's one of those things that you can work on a little bit every day. And mental health gets big and complex, like your marriage, your professional identity, your self-esteem, your ego, like all this stuff, your dreams, all that. It's like, you know, that's a lot, right? But more olive oil, again, that, that's something simple, you know, we can do. And, uh, and it's a step in the right direction, according to the research. Yeah, I was about to make that comment that mental health truly is so complex and there's so many things that contribute to it. And, and so I think it is really important that as we talk about these things that research has come back to really validate as being really important components of mental health, that we don't get to that point of saying this is the way uh, mm -hmm. as everyone's way to strengthen their mental fitness is going to have you know unique aspects to it. And some of the most important elements to helping lift out of depression or to strengthen mental health are going to be unique. But there are these universal things that we know are important, you know, the functioning of our body and feeding that body with the best support possible may not be the thing that brings full remission uh, from, you know, a, a time of depression in life. But it is certainly something that we all need and that will help strengthen us. And whether we're in a state of depression or not, we all have a brain. We all have a body. We all need to be mentally fit to be able to live fully and to be able to do the good in the world that we want to. And so it's, it's something that's universally applicable. Thanks for listening to part one of this interview with Drew Ramsey. If you found it helpful, I invite you to leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. As a new podcast, each review makes a huge impact. Part two of my interview with Drew will be released on Thursday and transitions immediately from the why of nutrition with our mental health right into practical tips that you can apply right away. So don't miss it.
Also, with the shift Ashley and I have made to lead Be Whole Do Good together with a focus on strengthening families, we could not be more excited about some support options we'll be soon releasing. If you desire to be a more mindful parent, to have your family practice greater compassion for yourselves and each other, and to establish a family culture of continually becoming more whole and doing good, then you won't want to miss what will be released soon. To be kept up to date, simply head on over to BeWholeDoGood.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter at the bottom of our homepage. We are so grateful to be on this journey of whole being health with you. Have a wonderful day.